0: Production and distribution of City Club Forums on Ideastream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrup. I'm the chief executive here, also a proud member. Today is January 22nd. We're once again live from the studios of our public media partner, 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. We are very grateful for their support as we make our way through the pandemic. Today we're talking about presidential transitions. It's a feat unlike really any other in the public sector or even really the private sector. Every four years or eight years, leadership at the highest level of government in the United States has less than three months to entirely transition between administrations. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of jobs and people. It's this transition of power, possible only because of the dedication and cooperation of politicians and civil servants alike, that is a hallmark of American democracy. Only this time it was really a little bit different than it usually is. The transition between the Trump-Pence and Biden-Harris administrations was marred, as you know, by claims of election fraud, misinformation and disinformation, conspiracy theories... All of which resulted in a violent attack on the Capitol on January 6th, the day that Congress met to certify Joe Biden's win in the Electoral College. Days later, President Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives for a historic second time for his role in inciting the attack. Despite all of this, as Joe Biden said when he was inaugurated, when he was inaugurated, democracy did prevail. But the tumultuous transition and the events of the last two weeks do hang heavy over our country. Today we'll discuss the behind the scenes picture of presidential transitions and the impact recent events are having on the Biden-Harris administration. We're joined today by two public servants with deep experience in presidential transitions. Lisa Brown served as co-director of agency review for the 2008 Obama-Biden transition, working to review the more than 100 departments, agencies and commissions comprising the executive branch. She continued to serve in the Obama administration first as the assistant to the president and staff secretary in the White House, and then as acting chief performance officer at the Office of Management and Budget. Previously, she helped oversee an orderly transition out of the White House after Vice President Gore conceded the 2000 election to George W. Bush. Currently, she is vice president and general counsel at Georgetown University. Also with us, Chris Liu. He served as executive director of the Obama-Biden transition in 2008, he, too, continued to work for the Obama administration, first as White House Cabinet Secretary and assistant to the president, and later as Deputy Secretary of Labor. He's the only, he is only the second Asian American in history to become a Deputy Secretary of any Cabinet Department. Currently, he's assisting with the Biden-Harris transition and is also the Teresa A. Sullivan Practitioner Senior Fellow in the Miller Center at the University of Virginia. If you have questions for either of our speakers, please text them to three three zero five four one five seven nine four. 541 5794 That's 330 330- Five four one five seven nine four. If you're on Twitter, tweet your question at the City Club and we will work it into the program. Lisa Brown and Chris Liu, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: It is wonderful Thank to have it's wonderful to have you both with us. And Chris Liu, how long ago did the work on the Biden Harris transition begin?
2: Well, I started getting involved in the early fall, but it really goes back much further than that. Uh, Just to give you an example, in 2008, when I ran President Obama's transition, the first conversation I had with him was in April, so more than six months before Election Day. And candidly, I know that seems like a surprise to people, but it's necessary because, as you mentioned, Dan, you're talking about the turnover of thousands of positions uh, within the federal government, the handover of responsibilities in the U.S. federal government, which is the largest, most powerful entity in the world. So you want to start it as soon as you can, and it absolutely needs to start before Election Day.
0: Lisa Brown, tell us um, what the work entails.
1: So, um, if you think about it, as Chris talks about how important it is to start early, no business would choose to have its entire leadership leave on one day. So you are coming in, taking over a massive business, if you think about the bureaucracy of the federal government. And I think about it really having three pieces, um, policy, personnel, and agency review. So you are going to need to staff up uh, there are 4,000 political, about 4,000 um, political positions. About 1,200 of those are Senate confirmed positions. You're going to have to fill all of those. You then want to, as quickly as possible, start implementing the policy promises of the new president. And then you are have a management job, which is managing the executive branch agencies. And so the third part of this agency review. You send teams of people into agencies, or when we're operating virtually like now over Zoom, to learn as much as you possibly can about what is happening in those agencies. The whole goal of this is that when you start governing on inauguration day, you can hit the ground running. You know what you're gonna be facing and you can quickly start implementing the new president's priorities.
0: When you were running agency review, Lisa Brown, for the Obama-Biden transition, did that mean that you were ensuring and tracking that everybody who that you were creating the sort of land, quote unquote, landing teams to for every one of those more than 100 different agencies and offices?
1: Yes, it was over, over 500 people that we had on agency review and um, with teams. It's a it's a sort of a pyramid structure with a committee at the top. And then but ultimately, yes, we had a landing team for every agency and they go in and you know they do a certain amount of work pre-election actually they learn what they can from publicly available information and then post-election they actually are able to start talking to um individuals who work in those agencies
0: chris lou give us a sense like from the from the inside what those conversations look sound and feel like when in a functioning transition
2: well look in a functioning transition you're engaging very early on with the outgoing administration that's certainly what happened in 2008. And I should say that following the 2008 transition, President Obama was publicly effusive about the level of cooperation and collaboration he had received from the outgoing Bush administration. That begins before Election Day. And then obviously after Election Day, as Lisa said, you're doing these deep dives into agencies and you are doing you know, briefings on personnel and budgets and programs. And, you know, you're digging really deep into all of these federal agencies, but you're also engaging with outside stakeholders, Mm -hmm. you know, from the perspective of, you know, the Department of Labor. That could be unions. It could be business groups. It could be, um, you know, uh, worker advocacy groups. Uh, And then you're examining every piece of publicly available information you can, because what you want to do is ensure that you have the best understanding of what's happening inside of a department Mm -hmm. and to prepare the incoming team so that at noon on January 20th, they walk in and they're ready to accept um, the reins of power and know exactly what they're supposed to be doing.
1: And Dan, if I could just jump in, Please. I think if you think about it big picture, if, um, transitions are times of huge vulnerability and you can have balls dropped, you can have something missed, worst comes to worst, you could have a national security issue where a foreign country takes tries to take advantage during this change in power. And so that is why the, what Chris is describing is so important and the collaboration that we got from President Bush and his administration was tremendously important because you want essentially a seamless handoff. And to have that, you need to have a lot of information sharing.
0: So Chris Liu, your transition this time around, uh, you faced enormous obstacles that um, we haven't seen in our nation's history in over a century.
2: Yeah, you know, look, I mean, let's put this in a little bit of historical context. We've had presidential transitions in this country for 200 years. We've done it through war and depression. We've done it after bitterly fought presidential campaigns. And, you know, think about Lisa worked for Al Gore. There was none that was closer than that 2000 mm-hmm. presidential election. But in every previous transition, uh, when an election is called, uh, the outgoing administration cooperates. And that simply wasn't the case here. You had a three week delay after Election Day when the General Services Administration uh, refused to. Mm-hmm. Ascertain who the winner was. That ensured that that ensured that, uh, that 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 made it difficult for the process to begin. There was no funding for the uh, the transition. Even after that happened, um, there continued to be uh, not. I wouldn't say across the board uh, problems. I mean, you know, the role I saw at the Department of Labor, uh, we had absolute cooperation. But again, from press accounts, there were some issues that. Uh, the Defense Department. And as Lisa said, transitions are a vulnerable time from a national security perspective, especially at the Defense Department, Homeland Security, places Mm -hmm. like that. You want to make sure that there's full uh, sharing of information.
0: Well, on top of what you've just described, there's the pandemic.
2: Well, right. And, you know, unlike what Lisa and I did in 2008, where we sent these 500 people into these federal agencies to... Meet with people across a, a conference room to review documents. I never stepped foot in this Biden transition mm-hmm. into the Department of Labor. I had to. I, I. I. didn't even meet with any of my thirty team members uh, in person. We did it all virtually, and we had to do our meetings with whether it was stakeholders or people within the agency uh, all virtually.
0: We're talking with Chris Liu and Lisa Brown. Chris, uh, both of them have had uh, vast experience in both uh, in various transitions. Chris is working on the current transition with the Biden-Harris team, and uh, both worked on the 2008 transition uh, to the Obama-Biden White House. If you have questions for either of them, please text them to 330-541-5794, 330-541-5794 to text your question. If you're on Twitter, please tweet your question at the City Club. You're with the City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Malthrop, and it's great to have you with us. Um, So, Uh, Chris Liu, I uh, was recently reading a book called The Fifth Risk that many of our listeners will have read or heard about or read a review of or listened to author Michael Lewis interviewed about that described the transition in 2016 to the Trump administration as um, sort of the defining characteristic was that nobody showed up, Um, at least that's how Michael Lewis portrays it. Um, At the end of the Obama administration, was that the experience that you had?
2: yeah um unfortunately yes um you know i was the deputy secretary of labor in 2016 on election day and so i was in charge of uh, overseeing the outgoing transition Um, as you know outgoing administrations do we had prepared binders and binders of information we had come up with lists of briefings and election day you know happened Uh, a, a, a winner was declared and we waited and, and nobody uh, rang us up. And finally, about a week later, somebody did ring us up. Uh, you know, they, they showed up, one person showed up, they did a couple of meetings, and then a couple of weeks later, another person or two showed up. Um, to give you the perspective of, uh, of uh, what happened this year, uh, you know, as I said, ascertainment, this concept that none of us knew about, came three weeks late, but when it eventually happened, you know, within an hour, I emailed you know, the, the, the career lead for transition at the Department of Labor, and I gave him a list of 30 briefings I wanted, and we started those briefings a day later. And we, I think in the end, did upwards of 60 different meetings uh, with the agencies. We reviewed you know, thousands of pages of documents. And again, as Lisa and I have said, you wanna do this because you're talking about you know, the turnover, the handover of power of the most important entity in the world.
1: When you- and Dan, this is a non party What's interesting is it's really a nonpartisan issue. You know, when I went into the White House um, as staff secretary, I actually spoke before I, I started the job. I had a long lunch with then Judge Kavanaugh, who had held the job in the Bush administration. I talked to the incumbent staff secretary, President Bush's staff secretary, in addition to John Podesta, who had, was staff secretary for Clinton, there's a long, long tradition of this of respect for government and handing over the reins um, in a nonpartisan way.
0: Chris Lou, I wanted to ask a quick follow-up to uh, to what you just said: thirty different briefings just for the Department of Labor. Can you give us a sense of the kind of specificity mm-hmm. of that?
2: Well, you know, the, the Department of Labor, you know, by government standards, is not even a particularly large department. They're only about. Fifteen thousand employees, compared to you know Veterans Affairs or Homeland Security that has upwards of two to three hundred thousand, and yet there's all kinds of programs that deal with you know training workers for jobs. Um, we have OSHA which protects workplace safety. We have the Wage and Hour Division. We have you know the Bureau of Labor Statistics that tells you how many people are unemployed. And so you want to go into each of these sub-agencies, have a conversation about what is happening in each different area and then you have these b- broad cross-cutting briefings on the departmental budget, departmental human resources. We talked about the IT system, especially in light of the the issue with this Russian hack. I wanted to know exactly whether any systems had been compromised within the department. So these were really detailed briefings that we asked for.
0: Well, some some policy uh New policy has come out of those briefings. And, and uh, in particular, OSHA's instructions through the exec- recent executive order, there's been, I, I don't know, at least two dozen executive orders over the last uh, last two and a half days um, from President Biden, but OSHA's new uh, instructions to be in, more involved in COVID safety, worker safety for regarding COVID. Um, and then also policy to create, uh, to propose a $15 an hour federal minimum wage. Chris Lou, can you talk a little bit about the processes that that went into that, um, that went into both of those?
2: Well, it, it all comes back to, you know, what did President Biden say on the campaign trail? And he talked about the importance of increasing wages through the minimum wage, about the importance of paid sick leave, paid family leave, as well as trying to do better to protect workers in a very unsafe time right now. You know, sadly, under the previous administration, workplace enforcement had really gone to nothing. They had put out some um, uh, some guidances about uh, safe uh, practices in offices and workplaces, but they really hadn't been enforced. And so um, the task given to us is, what can OSHA uh, under a new administration do? And so you saw yesterday uh, uh, President Biden put out an executive order that said, OSHA will have stronger um, safety standards that will be aligned with what the CDC has required and in a couple of uh, months they're going to put out even stronger standards and they're also going to beef up their enforcement efforts. So a lot of what we were tasked to do was taking what the president elect had said on the campaign trail and making that into policy that could be implemented.
0: Lisa Brown, can you talk a little bit about about that process beyond the Department of Labor but through the other departments and you know what what you saw happen in 2008 that um that the, the event, you know, I mean, that was, again, it's hard <laughs> there's been so much this time around in, here in 2020 that we forget that in 2008, there was a, a, a really significant economic crisis that was rocking the entire, the entire globe.
1: Absolutely. And we, during the transition, spent a great deal of time um, putting together the Recovery Act. Um, And at the same time, you want to make sure that while you have some enormous initiative like that, that you are also um, paying attention to what is happening in each of the individual agencies. And so what, what Chris described is absolutely right. What we did was we literally mapped out... Um, the candidate Obama's campaign promises across the agencies. So each of the agency review teams, when they went in, they knew what promises had been made with regard to that agency. And so your job then is to figure out, as Chris indicates, how do I go about implementing this? And what you're doing is putting together what's actually happening in the agency then. Because if you think about it, when you look at all the COVID initiatives that um, President Biden rolled out, he needed to understand what was already happening in order to have those be really effective. So what he did was put together the knowledge that they learned during the transition and then superimposed their, their own policy um, initiatives on top of it. So to, for, to be able to do that much that fast required both the collaboration with the agencies and a tremendous amount of work by the, by the uh, transition teams.
0: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Lisa Brown and Chris Liu, uh, public service public servants, both of them veterans of the the 2008 transition to the Obama Biden administration. Chris has been working on Chris Liu has been working on the de, the transition for Biden for President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, and uh, Chris Liu is also the former Deputy Secretary of Labor. Uh, if you have questions for either of them here at our City Club Friday Forum, please text those questions to 330-541-5794, or you can tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them into the program. Chris Liu, with all of these, uh, these difficulties that, and, and sort of other challenges that have been layered on top of an already enormous challenge of hiring 4,000 new people, et cetera, and so forth, um, how far behind is the administration today compared to where you were in 2008?
2: Oh, I think they're absolutely ahead right now. I mean, Dan, you just talked about the two dozen executive orders that uh, President Biden has signed. I think that is probably a record. And I think what's important is that these aren't just you know pieces of paper. These are significant things, whether it's reentering the Paris Climate Accord, whether it is providing protections to uh, DACA recipients, whether it's Rescinding the Muslim ban, what you've just talked about in terms of workplace safety, uh, you know, President Biden today is signing a whole another series of executive orders. Today, one deals with um, uh, expanding food stamp and school lunch benefits. Another one um, uh, expands eligibility for unemployment insurance. And so, executive orders are important, but they're a first step. And the the problem often is that. You need agencies to implement regulations to actually make these executive orders have any meaning. And ultimately, on a lot of these issues that we're talking about, you can really only solve them with legislation, which is why um, the Biden administration is pushing forward on a, on a big stimulus package right now. So notwithstanding the obstacles they faced over the last couple of months, uh, I think they're well ahead of where any previous administration uh, has been.
0: But with hiring, I would assume that it's a and I know that at this point in uh, in 2009, there were far more cabinet officials confirmed, for instance. Lisa Brown. So
1: the, I would say that they the Biden administration is ahead in terms of the number of political appointees. Sub-cabinet level who are in agencies. So if you saw on Inauguration Day, he the President Biden swore in, I think it was around a thousand political appointees to go into each of the agencies. Typically, personnel is a huge um, Bottleneck, getting people into the agencies, and they were real they've been really organized and did a lot of vetting during the transition to be able to move that quickly. You're correct that although he has named uh, he's identified who he wants to nominate for the for his cabinet positions. Um, only two of them have now been confirmed. So the head of DNI, Avril Haines, and the new defense secretary have both been confirmed. Unfortunately, the one thing he doesn't have control over is Congress. And so he has to work with the Senate. And often that is where things get slowed down is that it can become, sometimes there can be a lot of politics involved, um, but it's also just, it's a lot of, it's still 1,200 people that you have to get through the various congressional committees and that takes time.
0: Chris Liu, with the impeachment pending and the impeachment trial rather pending, um, how how far will that set back the the cause of of getting getting the advice and consent from the from the Senate for these nominees?
2: Uh, it could be a problem. I spent four years working in the Senate. Uh, the most valuable thing you have in the U.S. Senate is floor time, and because the U.S. Senate works by unanimous consent, any senator can object to anything. Um, it is unclear at this point when uh, an impeachment trial will be held or how long it will be, but it will take up some time, and any time that's taken up means personnel aren't getting confirmed. it means that legislation isn't getting passed
0: is that um i mean in some respects there's nothing you can really do about it other than you know other than the kind of behind the scenes arm twisting and and sort of and and hoping that better angels prevail i guess but um how do you continue continue the really important strategic work in that context?
2: Exactly right. I mean, I think a lot of the nominations that are gonna go through will be relatively non-controversial. Mm-hmm. I think you saw uh, General Austin get confirmed today with like a 93 to two uh, vote, which is you know pretty remarkable. Uh, the the director of national intelligence got confirmed like 84 10 yesterday. So that's basically what you'll see. That being said, it just takes time that you have confirmation hearings. There's all kinds of you know, financial and, and, and ethics paperwork that need to be filled out. Senators will want to ask follow-up questions in writing. That all needs to get done. So the process, even when it's functioning smoothly, mm-hmm. isn't fast. And then layer on top of that a 50-50 Senate uh, dealing with an impeachment trial, a heightened level of partisanship, um, even from what we saw in 2009. And, you know, it's, it's going to take a while.
0: As I said earlier, uh, but if you're just joining us, you're with the City Club Friday Forum. We're speaking with Chris Liu, who is a former Deputy Secretary of Labor uh, in the Obama-Biden administration, is working on the transition to the Biden-Harris administration, which is uh, no longer to the Biden-Harris administration, but really uh, now it is the Biden-Harris administration. Lisa Brown, also a public service veteran of many transitions, is with us as well. She currently serves as general counsel and vice president at Georgetown University, your questions are coming up momentarily if you have a question, text it to three three zero five four one five seven nine four That number again is three three zero five four one five seven nine four if you 're on twitter you 're invited to tweet those questions at the city club and we will work them into the program i 'd like to ask you uh, uh, both about how people join an administration you 've got to hire four thousand of ideally the best brightest and uh, the best and brightest in America that really represent America, uh, as well. Um, Lisa, how did you manage that job in 2008? I know you were a head of agency review, but you had a colleague who was head of personnel development, I'm sure. And you have some, you can shed some light on that.
1: There's a there's a person in charge and there's a team. It is an enormous amount of work. Um, and you get, um, during the transition, The different agency review teams will play a role in part in identifying the type of person that you need for various jobs. Um, Some number of people on the agency review teams do end up going into the administration. So I think it was about 50 percent of them in the um, Obama transition ended up going into the agency that they had been reviewing um it's a it's sort of like it's a puzzle that you're putting together because you also when the president elect or president identifies their cabinet secretary the cabinet secretary is going to have views about who they want to bring in with them as well you care about diversity so you have to you have to you know keep looking at those different pieces and thinking about the, the best people for the roles. There's a lot of due diligence done here too, looking out at you know who in particular areas, who are the leaders in those areas that are out in the private sector that you might wanna bring in. So there's no one route. Um, and, and then um, Dan, as you noted earlier, um, if you get on the, during the transition, if you got on the Biden, Harris website, you could apply for a job. And so there's also a huge database that they can draw on as they're looking to hire. So there's a, it's a multifaceted process.
0: Yeah, there's a, a button right there on the front of the website that just says apply for a job, which is really, you know, for the right people can really, um, can really spark uh, some inspiration. And, you know, the, it, it was certainly not that easy prior to the internet to apply for a job in the administration. Mm-hmm. Chris Liu, um, how close are you to the hiring that's happening right now?
2: You know, I'm not directly involved, but I've um, certainly been um, had a say in some of the decisions. Um, But as Lisa said, I mean, you know, it's 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 a puzzle. And, you know, we uh, Lisa and I worked in an administration that was the most diverse in history. Uh, The Biden administration is already light years ahead in terms of their commitment to diversity. But it's also important to understand it's not just, you know, racial gender diversity that you're looking at. You really want people who bring a variety of experiences to the job not just people who have served in government but before, but people who have private sector experience, state and local experience, nonprofit experience. And so it's just time consuming to build these teams. And as Lisa said, you have secretaries who, you know, want to have a say in the people around them. And so uh, a lot of people provide a lot of um, ideas and you get names from outside stakeholders as well who have a vested interest. And so uh, I do encourage people, You know, if you are interested, go on the website and apply. And, you know, it it is hard. I mean, you know, I I don't know what the statistics are this year. Uh, Back in 2008, during the transition, we got 100,000 resumes uh, for about 4,000 jobs. And so it's kind of like, Applying to a really, really selective college, uh, a really, really selective college, uh, and I suspect when, when all is said and done this year, those numbers will well exceed
0: one hundred thousand. It's funny that you say a really, really selective college because the pay is probably less than the tuition at that really, really selective college. <laughs> yeah. uh, as I said, we're this is, we're talking with Chris Liu and Lisa Brown. It's your City Club Friday forum today, focused on this uh, this unique transition, uh, which. I've taken pains today to actually not call it a peaceful transition of power, because it actually wasn't a peaceful transition of power, but nevertheless, democracy prevailed and, the, and power did transition. If you do have a question for our panelists today, please give us a call. Or I'm sorry, don't give us a call. Please text your phone number to 330-541-5794. That number is actually only set up to receive text messages, so please don't call it. Um, And you can also tweet your question at the City Club, and we will work it into the program. Let me bring in some listener questions and audience questions right now. When the outgoing administration holds very different priorities from the previous administration, how does the transition team vet the information to assure it is accurate, factual, and factor in the different points of view? Chris Liu. Yeah,
2: look, it's not surprising that um, uh, different administrations have different priorities. If, if the question is geared towards what is being provided by the agencies, um, what is remarkable is that the process of transitions should be and largely is run by career officials, so they really are trying to play it straight uh, as to you know here 's the programs that we are legally empowered to do here 's how we 're spending the money here 's what 's going well here's not what what 's not going well um, and, and I think the fact that we're able to pull off these transitions every four or eight years is a testament to the commitment of civil servants in the country and you know, and civil servants, you know, without being partisan, have had kind of a tough four years. They've been called the deep state. And, but these are people who, as you say, don't earn a lot of money, uh, but are committed to, you know, whether it's our national security, whether it's providing, uh, ensuring health or education or whatever it is. And they want to ensure uh, that government runs uh, effectively. And so it's in their interest to be forthcoming with the incoming leadership about what works and what doesn't work.
0: Lisa Brown, the agency review, I mean, that's really a function of the agency review. This question speaks to that kind of, you know, that very thing. The Obama administration came in with a f- very different point of view, especially around fiscal matters than the George W. Bush administration. Um, how did you handle that?
1: So Chris is absolutely right. You, the, And it's now actually been codified in, by statute that there is a career employee who is the lead for the transition in each agency. And so we found that by and large, people were very straight and they told it like it was, told us what was going on there many of these individuals have been there for years they're used to these sorts of transitions and so they you then take the it's really almost factual information that you're collecting and then yes you have a different policy priority and so what's interesting, if you think about the White House right where Chris and I walked in, there was no notebook I was not given a notebook because it's all political. And so unlike in the agencies where you get reams, because everything there is really about those policy priorities. And so but in the in the agencies, it's it's exactly what Chris describes. And you, you're, you're taking that essentially factual information and you're superimposing your policy priorities.
0: When um, when you are are doing. Well, let me, I'll save my question for later. <laughs> Let's go back to another audience question. Do, um, and this is back to, the, to, uh, job, to, to hiring, do you look closely at unsolicited resumes or do the jobs go to people that are known by the candidate in the campaign or, or in which there's some kind of connection?
1: So, uh, Chris, go ahead.
2: I, I will say, look, I mean, you know, obviously people who have worked on the campaign, people who have held similar jobs, uh, who have been part of the transition or been part of the broader kind of you know policy, political ecosystem? again, a uh, lot of people come from you know Capitol Hill. Uh, those people obviously are known quantities. It's easier to hire than people. But it's not to say that you know somebody who who has a kind of a unique skill set, and trust me, among these four thousand political appointees are really jobs that require really, really specialized information. And, you know, sometimes it is like finding a needle in the haystack. You're like, gosh, we need somebody who knows nuclear proliferation issues. And there's not a huge number of people in the country that know these issues well. You know, I do remember, you know, at the Department of Labor, we did have to one of the jobs we had to hire for was a, a CFO, chief financial officer. And, and that's not a job that is necessarily a partisan job. Uh, but you wanted somebody who had done that for a, a larger organization. It could be for a city or, or state agency. You could be somebody who did it in the private sector. So we were open to anyone who came in who had the right skill set and who was uh, committed to the larger agenda that we were pursuing.
0: How often are you going beyond the pool that's, that, that appears before you to recruit people outside who you think would be really, really good for this role if you could just convince them to take the pay cut?
2: Oh, that's I mean there there's plenty of times where you're going out and seeking mm-hmm. people as well because as I said, some of these jobs are so specialized and you know, you realize realize when you look around the country there's only a couple dozen people that could do that. So you're out there looking for these people.
0: And how do you you know, with a hundred thousand resumes, uh that's like as difficult as as the college application process where they're, you know, sorting through a hundred thousand uh, college applications with essays to um, to find a class of a thousand kids, a thousand young people. How do you logistically handle, um, you know, the White House's monster or Indeed.com? <laughs>
1: Technology is is very helpful here. I, I I truly cannot imagine doing it before um, computers because you can now search. And I think if you you know if you looked at the questions that were asked on the Biden Harris website, they ask you to identify right which agencies you're interested in, particular expertise you've had, management expertise. So they can do searches. And I think that, that is part of what they're gonna do um, when, if they're looking for uh, particular expertise or and whatever, they, that that is, I think, facilitated it. And then there's, there's a team in the White, White House presidential personnel, and you've got individuals who are focused on particular agencies, and they become experts in the, the people that are knowledgeable on the subject matter of that agency.
0: Is there is another really interesting philosophical question. Is there a better way to do this? Is this the best we can come up with? Or, I mean, what improvements would you make? Would you both make to this process? Lisa Brown, you first.
1: (laughs) One improve. So I guess two. I actually chaired a commission on reducing the streamlining the paperwork for presidential appointees because it's a massive amount. There's an FBI background check. There's a White House questionnaire. The Senate committees each have their own questionnaires. It's like a gotcha game because the same question can be asked in a slightly different way and you answer it a little differently and they think you're trying to hide something. So I think there's a lot, if there could be greater collaboration between the White House and um, the Senate on the paper side, I think that would help to just simplify it. Um, I think there also are certain positions that are still Senate confirmed that, as Chris indicates, the CFOs, the COOs often are Senate confirmed. They, I don't think they need to be. They're not necessarily, part, they aren't partisan positions. And so I think one effort, and there's been progress made on this, in fact, is to, to reduce the number of Senate confirmed positions.
0: I understand it used to be something like 1,600 Senate confirmed positions reduced by 400 to, 12, to 1,200, which is a mm-hmm. step in, in that direction, mm-hmm. I suppose. Chris Liu, should that go further?
2: I think it should, but obviously the U.S. Senate has its own uh, reasons for (laughs) wanting to have a say in these people. And, you know, a lot of senators want to have a nominee before them and have that nominee, you know, uh, have a chance to ask the nominee about whatever pet program matters to the senator, or if nothing else, just to get a commitment from the nominee that, you know, if I were to, after you get confirmed, if I'm to call you up and ask you a question or ask you to appear before me. Will you agree to do that? And every smart nominee says, yes, absolutely, I will do that. Uh, I do think in terms of a better way to do this, I am concerned about the diversity of the pipeline uh, of people that apply for these jobs. If you consider, you know, people that come off of presidential campaigns, you know, and again, not, not a necessarily a high paying job, so that's a luxury that some people simply can't afford. People that work on presidential mm-hmm. transitions, again, it's a solely volunteer, by and large solely a volunteer uh, function. Uh, I did this for free for the last three or four months. Uh, or people that come from Capitol Hill, which is, again has some diversity issues as well. And so if those are the natural feeders for jobs like this, you do wonder how, how diverse a pool you are getting. Um, and so I think that's
0: something that should be
2: examined as well.
0: Are There, there are other programs. I know that, uh, that there are programs that, div- that are, exist purely to train people for public service. But again, I, I would imagine it's a kind of a, a, another function of who can afford to take the time to do those programs.
2: Yeah, you know, there's, um, there is a, uh, more broadly, there's a public service loan forgiveness program um, that applies whether you're a political appointee or a, a career civil servant uh, that really ought to be expanded because you know you want these opportunities available to everybody, and obviously, just given the issue right now with student loan debts, a lot of people just can't afford to 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 take mm-hmm. on these opportunities and so yeah, we ought to consider all different ways to make it easier to serve
0: Lisa Brown, our two political parties have significantly different philo- philosophies about national politics and national policies. What impact will the change of administrations and political parties have on national stability when it looks now like a whiplash effect?
1: So I think as you heard from uh, President Biden, he is going to do everything that he can to try to govern for everybody to bring the country together. I agree with you, this, is, I, this country is deeply divided right now. And part of that is it is that we live in two different realities unfortunately two different media worlds and we have to figure out some way of bridging that and finding a common set of facts a common a sense of truth that everybody agrees on and i think um, part of this really was aggravated by our former president because he was quite comfortable lying and people believed what he was saying so i think i think the divisions were there but they were augmented Um, so i'm hopeful i think it's going to be a challenge but i'm hopeful that The government really does exist to try to work for people. And hopefully with some of these programs that President Biden and Vice President Harris are quickly um, initiating, that people will see that some of these are going to benefit them and we can start to move forward together.
0: Chris Liu, stability uh, is raised in that question and the Trump administration was sort of characterized by a a whole lot of personnel churn. And I wonder if um, commitment to... Being in the job for four years, three years, has been a, a, an important part of the hiring practice that you've been engaged in.
2: Yeah, uh, look, uh, by the time the end of the Trump administration, President Trump was on his sixth Homeland Security Secretary, <laughs> six in four years, which is pretty incredible for you know one of the most important uh, departments in the federal government. You know, when Lisa and I both served in the White House, the Obama White House for the first four years, we virtually had no churn. Uh, in the, the president's cabinet. And and that's a good thing, uh, you know, because first of all, these are really, really hard jobs and it doesn't matter if you've been a senator or a governor, uh, they're not necessarily intuitive to you. So it takes a certain amount. There is a steep learning curve. It takes you a while to figure out how, how these jobs function and how you can be successful. So you want people um, to do that if you want to move forward on your policy agenda. But it's also important for, again, national security and homeland security. You know, we had in the first four years, um, the same uh, Homeland Security uh, secretary and Janet Napolitano, and the same Homeland Security advisor in the White House and John Brennan, the same FEMA administrator. Um, And that's important because, you know, every year there are hurricanes, there are tornadoes, there are fires, you know, or there's, you know, cyber attacks. You want the same group of people, who actually have been through this before and know how to do this? And I think about the first couple of years, the Obama administration. You know, we had to deal with the Deepwater Horizon, the Gulf Coast oil spill. Uh, we had Hurricane Sandy that came up. I mean, it, it felt like every you know month there was another natural disaster that would happen, and you didn't want these things to happen, obviously. Uh, but the, the more you actually engaged in dealing with this, the better you got at doing this, and so. Anytime you have a new team of people, um, it creates that instability that I think has broader consequences.
1: And Dan, you were asking earlier about the Trump transition into office. And because they didn't really engage around the transition, um, they actually tried to quickly launch certain initiatives, and they didn't, they didn't do them as well as they could have. They were challenged in court and they lost in court because they hadn't actually gone through the steps that if they'd consulted with the career employees, that they would have known this is what you need to do, these are the justifications you have to have, here's the right process. And so again, as Chris is indicating, that's where the experience comes in. And if you keep throwing new people in and then those people aren't even consulting with the career employees who know what they're doing, it's a recipe for not being very successful. Related, Dan, oh, if I could give you, can I give you one go more ahead. example.
2: Yes, please. So um, January 13th, 2017, so one week before Inauguration Day in 2017, mm-hmm. uh, I was part of the outgoing Obama team that did a tabletop exercise with the incoming Trump team. This was very similar to one that the outgoing Bush administration had done with us in 2009. And we did a role play of three scenarios that the incoming administration would be most likely to face. One was a hurricane one was a cyber attack and the third was a global pandemic
0: Oh God, i was hoping you wouldn't say that
2: (laughs) and we briefed them on the likelihood of a pandemic of a scenario in which it started in asia it moved it made its way to europe uh there weren't enough uh, personal protective equipment there wasn't a vaccine we then handed them a playbook that was 69 pages long about how you deal with a global pandemic that was january of 2017 And if you look at the people and there's a a photo of that exercise of the 30 or so incoming people that we briefed, by the time the actual pandemic hit, there were maybe 10 of them left at that point. So um, I don't know whether they internalized what we were telling them, but the fact that there had been so much turnover by the time they actually had to deal with the issue um, was troubling. Uh,
0: That playbook, I assume, still exists, and I assume it's uh, it's been. It's been very much read by the 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 whole transition team at this point. This transition team.
2: Yes, and 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 you know we've again. This is part of why again, regardless of politics, you want continuity in government. You want collaboration between parties because this is about broader issues. This is about the functioning of government. And again, whether you like government or don't like government. In times like, you know, a pandemic or times like a hurricane, you want to make sure government works well and that you understand and you put all of the resources into helping the American people.
0: Related to that, Chris Liu, was it how important has it been for you and your colleagues to find people who have government experience, who have it, who were a part of the Obama Biden administration to so that it was sort of given the magnitude of the challenges that the Biden administration is facing you're sort of better situated, better able to hit the ground running.
2: I, again, Dan, I think you want to mix. I think you want people who understand, but you don't want people who have been just boxed into like, here's how we do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I want people who have never been in government, who are willing to think outside the box and ask the questions that sometimes those of us who have just spent our lives in government don't ask anymore. And, and we, we aren't necessarily willing to challenge the conventional wisdom or really kind of think creatively. So I think you want to mix.
0: Um, When the political pendulum is different between administration and federal rules are stayed, filings made in court suddenly changed and orders rescinded, how can local governments and organizations trust federal decisions made in these final weeks knowing that they may likely change? Lisa Brown?
1: So it's not just local governments. I was on a call with my team this morning saying the so the Department of Education put out a whole bunch of guidance Friday before inauguration. And, they were, and the conversation we were having is how much do we, how hard do we have to work to implement this when we know that the administration is, their priorities were very different and that, that many of these things are likely to be changed by the new administration. So this is a, it is a real challenge. And I think some of it is just is inevitable with when you have a change in administration with a change in party. But I think it's unfortunate that um, this administration did try to do an awful lot at the very end. And so you know there is the ability. There, the Congressional Review Act enables anything that was that is not was passed within sixty legislative days. So I think it's back to August twenty-first or something. They can um, actually consider and revoke. But that's a process. It's hard, and um, it's so it, it's ideally you would not have this race at the particularly at the very end. And I think some administrations. I know when Chris, when we were transitioning in. President Bush actually, particularly, I think it was in the national security and economic realms, said worked with the with the transition, worked with the incoming administration, so that there wasn't going to be an awful lot of that, you know, and, and said we're not going to make that decision. We're going to leave that decision for you. Um, so it, it's a it's a very real challenge that you're identifying.
0: Chris Lou in uh, 2016, there was a, a lot of news coverage of high-profile firings of ambassadors and. Um, and U.S. attorneys and and so forth, yet typically a lot of the political appointees are you know asked to submit their resignations uh, at at that time or at some point early in the new administration. Can you walk us through how that how that happens and what kind of considerations are made?
2: Yeah, I Dan, I went back and actually found my resignation letter from twenty sixteen. So we we were asked the Obama administration uh, a week before election day, November twenty sixteen. We were asked a week in advance. We got a memo from the White House Chief of Staff asking us to submit our resignation letters. Uh, And that was before Election Day, because even if Hillary Clinton had won, we wanted to give her maximum flexibility to staff her um, administration as she saw fit. So, you know, we all submit our resignations December 14th. They were all accepted. Um, I I think there were a couple of instances uh, where the Trump people asked some folks to stand. But the idea that U.S. attorneys um, are, are, are... not fired, but uh, are dismissed or 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 leave, or ambassadors should not surprise anybody because we're all, you know, political appointees. We serve at the pleasure of the president. Um, and likewise with this current administration, uh, you know, I think all of the resignations of the Trump administration officials have been accepted with a couple, again, with a couple of exceptions, uh, uh, but by and large, they've all been accepted. And that's that just is the way it always happens every four or eight years. It goes back then, Dan, to the concept of like the fact that we're able to kind of keep this system of government going and keep all these programs running during this time of change is really a testament to the career civil servants that mm-hmm. keep the trains running on time while you're switching over all these political appointees.
0: The deep state, you mean? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they,
2: uh, that, and that is uh, sadly the way they've been termed over the last four years. But, you know, as somebody who spent my career in, in federal services the son of a a, a career civil servant. I mean, that just defends me because these are hardworking people who frankly could be earning far more in the private sector, but are devoting their lives to um, helping the common good.
1: And Dan, as you asked earlier about getting jobs, people should think about career jobs. When I first went into the government, into the Department of Justice, I went in in a career position, not a political position. There are a lot of excellent government jobs at all, all the different agencies that are not political appointments.
0: And if somebody's interested in that, Lisa Brown, how do they do it?
1: Look, I would start by looking at their website, um, and there there's a, going to be a way to apply. And there, as Chris indicated earlier, there really has been a hollowing out of these agencies. A lot of capable people left over the last four years, so they're going to need. Not only do they have to fill the political spots, they're going to need to. They need to be hiring career people as well.
0: Chris Liu, another question related to the, the hollowing out that Lisa Brown refers to, um, was that did that complicate the transition because there weren't the people around who could brief you and your colleagues on what was going on?
2: There wasn't a problem in getting briefed, but I do think it's going to cause a problem in the implementation of these programs. And so if you look at the ones, mm-hmm. the agencies where there's, you know, the, the hollowing out has been more publicized, it's places like the State Department with Foreign Service uh, officers resigning, or it's in uh, EPA or Interior where a lot of the uh, climate change work has happened and a lot of scientists have been pushed out. And so it's critical if you're gonna put forward big proposals in these areas, you're going to need smart, good smart people to replenish, uh, to, to, to implement that. But I do think it speaks to what Lisa just said, which is this is also the flip side probably the only good side of hollowing out of federal government, is this is now a time for a new generation of people to come into government. And so there are a lot of opportunities for people that want to serve.
0: Will there be any steps taken to shore up the transition process in case we encounter another election where the outcome is disputed as it has been? And and another way to ask that is kind of what have we learned from this experience? And will any of that learning be applied to the future, Chris Luke?
2: Well, let me flip it to Lisa, because I think okay. Lisa has been asked this question in a congressional hearing before. <laughs> oh, OK. So Lisa Brown. So there is
1: the House Oversight Committee, and there's a uh, subcommittee on government relations, did a hearing on just this question. Like, what, how do we improve this process? Um, and I think, you know, there are a couple of ideas. One, Chris has referred to ascertainment a couple of times and the fact that the GSA didn't ascertain the winner of the election for several weeks you could try to define that more clearly. Um, you know, ascertainment is is about when you start sharing information from the government, it's not about who actually wins the election. Um, the other thing is, I think you, can, um, you could decide that there's information that's going to be shared even if it is still a contested election. So, um, during when there was a contested election with Gore, inf- national security information in particular, which sh- as I understand it, was shared with both of the candidates, because you, whoever won, you wanted to have them be as ready as possible on some critical areas. So I think there are ways to improve the information sharing that is done uh, during any period of a contested election.
0: Chris Liu, anything to add to that?
2: No, I I will simply say this is over the last um, couple of months during the transition, um, I've I do a lot of TV commentary, but I've done a lot of foreign TV commentary and people in other countries kind of scratch their heads as to our transition process. Because if you're in Canada, if you're in the UK, uh, you don't have the entire top level of their governments trans, you know, uh, of leaving their jobs. And it does, again, I don't know what the magic number of political appointees should be or Senate confirmed people. But you do wonder, as Lisa started by saying, you would never run any company this way like, is this really the most rational way to run the federal government? Maybe just in general, fewer people should be turning over.
0: How did we get to this point where so many people turn over? I mean, Because I, 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 I'm fairly certain that George Washington did not have to politically appoint, name like 1,200 or 1,800 appointees.
1: The government has has grown and grown. And so one of the things that I did for President Obama was work on government reorganization, which is a Sisyphean task, because you're, you know, it's much easier to add than it is to subtract. And I think that's part of why you've also seen the growth in the White House, because now the White House ends up having to manage any of these initiatives that are cross-agency, you need somebody to be managing those. And that's why you have more and more czars in the White House, because if it, whether it's energy or the environment, um, you need somebody who can coordinate all that agency work
0: it's really kind of intense though when you think about it because really the there this is the first time I mean I think a lot about democracy, I think a lot about how to make democracy work better and have a lot of conversations uh, on these sorts of things, but this very like this gets down to very like nuts and bolts this isn't about kind of how we do voting or the electoral college or these sort of big you know these big architectural things this is about kind of what um, how you actually, like, who, who should get hired and how.
1: And, you, and it's also a piece of it's embedded in our separation of powers. Because part of the reason that it's so hard to, uh, government reorganization is so hard, is that there's a congressional committee that has oversight responsibilities for each of the agencies, sub-agencies, and they don't want to cede authority. So it's not, even if, even if the president decides, I'm willing to shrink government, it takes uh, agreement with Congress to do the same.
2: You know, Dan, I would also add, I mean, I think the issues that have come up with the transition process, I think, highlight broader issues that we've seen over the last four years, which is so much of the way that our government works or what we expect of our leaders isn't actually written down. It's just norms. It's traditions. And there's always been a norm and tradition in this country of outgoing administrations cooperating with the incoming one until it doesn't happen. And so, again, whether we're talking about ethics or the rule of law or conflicts of interest or everything else that's happened over the last four years. I think there is going to be a move over the next couple of years to try to codify some of these things.
0: Well, Chris Liu and Lisa Brown, thank you so much. You've helped illuminate um, an often opaque and deeply important process. So thank you both for your time today and thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us for our Friday Forum. Our forum today is the Tachovas Foundation Endowed Forum. The Tachovas Foundation funds social innovation and entrepreneurship as well as emerging issues in the philanthropic sector. Thanks to our members, sponsors and donors, and others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. You can find out more at cityclub.org. And special thanks to City Club member Steve Hinkle for his help on today's program. I'm Dan Malthrop. Thank you so much for being a part of this. If you get a chance to get the vaccine, please make sure you do that. Stay strong and stay healthy. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.